We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is going on, everybody? This is Rob from the Striking Gold Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire Network. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top producers, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. The best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. And 
like I said earlier, you guys are back. You're at the Strike and Gold podcast. You're in the right place. Your 49ers pod on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by Indeed and Bet Online. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for the Blue Wire Network. And joining me tonight is my co-host, former NFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. What's up, man? I- I'll tell you what's up. Devontae Adams just scored his third touchdown. Best receiver in the league, man. And, I mean, he was double covered. And, like, they bracketed him. And and then when he went back the other way, he just lost both guys. <laughs> Dude's kind of good, huh? Well, and you know what's what's even better about that is the fact that I lost in the semifinals of my fantasy football playoffs last week. And this week, my team has decided to, as of now, put up 230 points, which is far and away the, the highest scoring game of anyone all season. And uh, my team decided to do that the week after losing in the playoffs in what would have been the championship. So I'm doing my best to just stay positive and not be pissed off because every single bit of that is out of my control. Yeah, I mean, you were texting me as it was going on, and you're like, man, it's just one of those weeks. And then you look at this week, and your team is just going crazy <laughs> over two. Same exact, same exact lineup, same exact players. Alvin Kamara, Aaron Rodgers, um, Jeff Wilson Jr., T. Higgins, you know, Travis Kelsey. It's a really good team. It's just that's how fantasy football is, man. That's what kind of I mean, it's cool. There's definitely some skill involved and, and, you know, choosing matchups and picking the right players. But so much of it is just pure luck, and it's completely out of your control. It, it, it makes fantasy kind of frustrating. Well, yeah, I, I just I stopped doing fantasy altogether, probably for that same reason. Where I'm just like, man, it's just, it's just too much out of my hands. And uh, for, for you to do as well as you did all year, and have that type of roster that, for the most part, didn't have any slip-ups. And then all of a sudden, you know, when it's time to, you know, win the championship, they just drop a dud. And then the next week, come back. What are you playing for now? Like third place? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if technically it counts as as playing for third place anymore. I don't I don't know how my our league handles, like, the loser's bracket. Because, you know, if, if I knew I was playing for worse draft position – then I would just put my worst team out there, but right. I didn't. Re- I didn't really feel like doing that. I think they kind of just go off of you know the moment your season ends. Where were were you in your stand in the standings, and then kind of go from there. But um, yeah, it's it's it sucks. <laughs> it sucks just a little bit. Looking at two hundred and thirty points, and you know what else is crazy too is I, I I had this. I think I was ten and three or nine and four, and then obviously made it into the playoffs. And I also, in the draft, traded up for Dak Prescott. He got hurt relatively early in the season. But before that, was on fire. And also, one of my earliest draft picks was Kenny Galladay, and he hasn't really played any games this season. So, And despite all that, I got pretty far. And uh, it is what it is, man. I mean, it's I play fantasy football mostly just because I'm, it's with a huge group of friends, and I love talking shit back and forth in the chat and, and going to the draft party and stuff like that. But... It's definitely not something I try and twist myself up about too much because it's just not in my control. Yeah. 
you know, I guess the only part you can ever claim was within your control is like if you if you benched a player and he got hella points, and you know, then that's your fault because you know you're dumb or couldn't or whatever. But um, yeah, this this wasn't the case this week. So, anyways, well, feeling like something is out of control. Do you think that's how? Uh, oh gosh. Do you think that's how Vrabel feels right now, like while watching Aaron Rodgers and the Packers march up and down the field? Well, I mean, what there, dude, there are some things that, like, obviously the 49ers have had the Packers number for a while, but they didn't this year. And that's got to be the same kind of thing for Robert Sala when, when the 49ers faced the Packers earlier this year. Is like Aaron Rodgers was just doing his thing. And so was Devontae Adams. And, you know, there was nothing you could do about it. Like, <laughs> sometimes players are just that good. Yeah. And the crazy thing watching this game it is not out of hand. I mean, Green Bay is up 26 to 14. And partly because they just had a huge run by Aaron Jones on the first play of the their last drive, which he ran the ball to probably like the five-yard line. It's got, you know, you can't see the field right now because of the snow, so I don't know exactly where he got tackled, but it was pretty close to the end zone. Um, you and I, well, I kind of posted it to Twitter, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I don't. this offense that LaFleur is running is obviously, you know, somewhat of a carbon copy of what Kyle Shanahan runs. And we were just talking about, like, what it looks like, you know, with how well it's being ran. And, you know, at this level, and I, I kind of said that it was – like, this is Kyle Shanahan's offense on steroids, right? And then I said, you know, and I think, you know, with Matt Ryan, he ran it at about a 10 out of 10, right? So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, like, that's like elite status, elite level with, you know, the efficiency. And I'm talking about from a passing standpoint, because obviously 49ers offense last year was really good, um, but mostly it was because of the ground game. Well, I'm watching it right now and just what it looks like from you know a passing uh standpoint and i said this is on steroids so this is just like maximum level whatever that is but i think matt ryan who you know he obviously won uh league mvp in this offense i said that was like a 10 out of 10 and i felt like last year when you're looking at from a passing standpoint i think jimmy ran it at about a 7.5 which isn't bad Uh, i thought he was efficient with you know what he did was asked to do, but you could see that there was another level that the offense can go to passing, you know, the ball. And right now that's what it looks like the Packers are doing. Yeah. And, and I did like the way you phrased that. I was thinking about that while you texted me that, and I, and I'll just read the text to, to kind of clue them in. Um, Crocker basically said, like he just said, Aaron Rodgers is running Kyle Shanahan's offense on steroids because it's pretty close to Kyle Shanahan's offense. Matt Ryan ran it on like a 9.5 out of 10. Jimmy Garoppolo ran it at like a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, You know, can Stafford be like an 8.5-ish? And I said, yeah, for sure. I think Stafford at least gets you that kind kind of production. And I think that it could be even higher given we've, we know Stafford has freakish quarterback ability. He's just always kind of been in what seemed like, uh, you know, a lackluster offense. And so, yeah, I'm assuming that Shanahan would be, be far and away his best offensive coordinator. So, you know, you could wonder what that'll be. And then I also mentioned the fact that, you know, if a rookie quarterback might be initially a pretty significant downgrade from what Jimmy Garoppolo gave you last year. But you would obviously do that knowing that whatever quarterback you have put in that position, 
can grow to be like an eight or a nine, you know, and right. maybe even higher if it's really, really so you, hits the nail on the head. Yeah. You said 6.5, right? So you yeah. said like typically, like, you know, realistically a rookie coming in who's very talented will probably get you around the 6.5 um, in the sense of kind of what he's able to do and grasp right away. Yeah. But, right. And I, it, but you know, you do it for a reason, you know, right. for the, for what you feel is coming. And for a while, and that's what we felt the 49ers were doing with Jimmy Garoppolo. <clears throat> like when he first stepped in and had those five games and, and looked pretty good. And then, um, you know, you just kind of were, obviously we didn't get to see much after that because he tore his ACL in 2018. And then 19 was his first full season as a starter. And as these games progressed and time went on, you're like, okay, if Garoppolo is going to develop and if he's going to continue to to grow in Shanahan's offense like we think he will, then we should be seeing that right about now and, and you know, this season. And then when that really, really poor Cardinals game hit, and then, he, you know, he injured his ankle and he came back and played well and then played bad and then injured it again. So it was really kind of – it's just been difficult to see if Jimmy Garoppolo has really developed how you would want him to, you know, at the very least to justify his salary. So that's that's the idea. If the 49ers do go in the rookie quarterback route, you should expect a little bit of a downgrade – Unless you've unless you've just got yourself a, a freak, uh, you should expect a little bit of a downgrade in a lot of areas. But then you're doing that for the sake of of improvement in the future. And you know, at some point in year two slash three, he he goes past what you're getting in Garoppolo, and then you know you keep on going from there. So the quarterback situation, the the one thing, and I, I know I was talking with to uh, Akash from Fourth uh, Nine slash Niners Nation about it is. You know, obviously no one just wants to accept whatever Jimmy Garoppolo is giving you if you feel like you could get better. But finding that better thing is not very easy at all. It's really hard. So I was just making a point that, like, if the 49ers stick with Garoppolo next year, it's not because they necessarily think he's the best they they can do. It's just that the best that he's the best that they can have currently. And, and hopefully some situation comes around like a Stafford or a draft pick where you can upgrade. So, and I do think like the 49ers feel they can upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I'm pretty sure they feel like that, but anyways, yeah. let's get into some winners and losers from the 49ers win over the Cardinals. And so I didn't apparently the, the, cause the, the thing with, and George Kittle mentioned it was, you know, the 49ers beating the Cardinals gave the Bears an easier path to the playoffs as long as they beat the Jags. And they did beat the Jags. And I don't I don't think it technically eliminates the Cardinals from the playoffs, but apparently their path to get in is a whole lot more difficult now. So that was a bonus for the 49ers. Was not only to get a win and and pump up the morale in the building and for all kinds of reasons that we'll talk about, but they also made the Cardinals life just a little bit more difficult. Um, so yeah, let's talk winners from this, from their 20 to 12 win Croc, Who is your, who's your first winner? Who was the first person that stood out, stood out to you? Jason Verrett, man, do play well. Anytime. I mean, we saw the numbers that Deandre Hopkins put up week one. It's like 14 catches, 150 yards, almost scored a touchdown with tackle, like the one yard line. And, Big thing or big issue that I had with that game was just how soft the coverage was. They didn't challenge him. He was able to just kind of catch and get the get out of bounds and yards after catch, all these 
you know, pretty much all game. Just whatever he wanted to do, he was able to do it. I thought this game, man, they challenged him big time. Um, every time at the catch point, they were either right there to contest the catch or they were tackling him for, like, no yards after catch. And Verrett had a huge hand in that, you know, knocking away a pass down the field. On the game ceiling play, he made them have to throw the ball low and away, which it ended up just, you know, falling incomplete because of his tight coverage. But, man, I mean, just all game, they they did an excellent job on him. And you know what? I'll say that just the DBs in general, uh, well, the cornerbacks in general. Um, I was going to separate uh, Verrett and Witherspoon, but I'll say Verrett, Witherspoon, uh, Kaywon Williams, man, like that trio of cornerbacks, dude, they played very well. Now, obviously, Witherspoon on the first drive gave up the big catch, but I thought that was more offensive pass interference than anything, but – um, even aside from that, man, I mean, he had a game ceiling interception in the end zone, uh, broke up some passes. He Witherspoon was really good tackling. Um, he smashed one dude on a, like a third down play. I thought he played very well. Uh, yeah, uh, Kawan Williams came off the edge. He got a sack. Uh, I texted in the middle of the game. I was a little worried because he left the game, and it's like, man, this dude can't stay healthy. But he eventually came back. And, uh, yeah, man, just overall, that, that trio of Verrett, Mosley, Witherspoon. I, I I was gonna just say Verrett as a winner, but I'll go with all three of those guys, man. That was that was good stuff, and I, I like the way they challenged guys the entire game. Now, now there was a busted play where uh, Keyshawn Johnson, not to get confused with the uh, former uh, first overall pick to the New York Jets, but Keyshawn Johnson from Fresno State, uh, he had a big go dogs. <laughs> he had a big play right down this middle of the foot field where he kind of like split the safeties and had uh, Fred Warner trailing. But outside of that, man, DBs did very well. So corners did very well specifically. Good stuff, man. I mean, Hopkins had, what, eight catches for less than 50 yards. Like, that's some that's some big-time stuff, man, and and big kudos to how well they were tackling as well because that's where a lot of – that's where he does a lot of his work is too, like after the catch, you know, where he's spinning and, and just – like where he's not like the fastest guy, but he's really a crafty runner. And they shut all that down. So, man, big shout out to all three of those guys. Yeah, it was it was really impressive to watch. And, and Kyler Murray threw the ball fifty times against the 49ers on sun, uh, Saturday. Fifty times, yet only managed two hundred and forty seven yards and zero touchdowns, despite throwing the ball fifty times, which is probably pretty rare. If you looked up. The, the stats of all the times an NFL quarterback has thrown 50 times, but for no touchdowns, there probably are not that many out there. I'd be willing to bet. And a lot of that did have to do directly with the 49ers defensive backs. You had Jason Verrett going up with DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone uh, for a quick second. Hopkins had caught that ball, and it just seemed like something like, of course, Hopkins is going to catch this. He does this all the times. But uh, Jason Verrett played the hands real well, brought him up, swatted, knocked it away. That was in the end zone. And then later on in the game, pretty much to seal it, Akelda Witherspoon picks off, um, gets the interception in the end zone. I don't remember who he's covered. Was it Christian Kirk again? Yep. Yeah, and it, it was Christian Kirk, and it picked off Kyler Murray in the end zone uh, to really just swing that game firmly in the 49ers' favor. And what I really like, too, I don't know if you heard it, Croc, was – Akello was asked about that play in the press conference, and he said, well, the a, a few series before that, Kyler Murray threw a deep ball 
towards me. And I just saw how much the ball floated and how much time I had to make an adjustment. So he said that he said, I knew that the next time he was going to throw that, that it was probably going to float a lot and I would have time to get in position and get my head around and make a play. And he said, he said when he, when he threw it, he's like, okay, you know, I know what I need to do. And, and it was textbook, dude. He just, he was, he wasn't in phase, but he was in a good spot and he just turned around and, and it was slightly underthrown and he just basically ran the route along with, uh, along with Christian Kirk. So I, I just thought it was a good answer. You know, like a, he, he, he had clear thought processes going on during the game that led to that interception. You know, it's just, it's cool to hear something like that, but. Yeah, and it lets you know you don't have to be in a panic if a guy has a step on you because somebody with a killer Witherspoon speed and Witherspoon is fast. That's one thing I think people, he's always in position. He's had his struggles playing the ball in the air, but as far as being able to like keep up with receivers, that's not an issue he's had. Like he is a 4 4 5 guy at the combine, which is really fast. So he has the speed and obviously he has the length, you know, at 6'3, you know, 6 foot 3 inches tall. So, you know, when if he feels like, hey, this ball is going to float and I have time to get in position and I don't have to, like, uh, panic or anything like that or being be in any type of rush with my technique, then, yeah, he'll be able to go up and get it as we saw him do. That, that was good stuff. Good adjustment by him. Yeah, and so my first winner, and this, this was a, a pretty easy one to choose, was Jeff Wilson Jr., now, Jeff Wilson Jr. obviously is a winner just purely based off his stat line. He had 22 carries for 183 yards. He averaged 8.3 yards per carry. He also caught one pass for 21 yards and a touchdown on the same arrow route that he scored against the Cardinals at the end of the season last year. Um, where he had that really awesome touchdown celebration where he just kind of throws his arms or out to the side and everywhere. And you could just tell, man, the guy was just 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 pumped to the max, just absolute energy. So um, it was just such a dominant performance. And what I like about it even more is the fact that it was pure taking advantage of opportunities like Jeff Wilson Jr. dealt with some injuries throughout the season. Um, He comes back kind of right at the same time. Raheem Mostert comes back. Raheem's getting the majority of the touches, although Jeff Wilson's still in the mix. And then obviously Raheem re-injured his high ankle sprain and was out for the season. Might have to have surgery. Uh, Shout out to Raheem, man. I hope you feel better soon. Um, But Jeff Wilson just, the 49ers had no reason to take him off the field. Every time he touched the ball, it seemed like he was just electric. And to tell you how much they favored Jeff Wilson, he had 22 touches. The next closest running back was Tevin Coleman with two. And he only came in and got those two because Jeff Wilson kind of um, just messed up his hand a little bit when he kind of dove forward and landed straight on it. So the only reason Tevin Coleman got those two was because Jeff Wilson had to come off really quick just to make sure his hand was okay. So, I mean, it was just a true running back one experience for Jeff Wilson. He played like a running back one. He is, you know, he's, he's you know, he should be in the mix. I don't know. I keep wanting to say this, but is Jeff Wilson Jr. a free agent after this year? I feel like he's maybe a restricted free agent. Yeah, I want to. I want to look right now. Like I just. I wanna... feel like he'd be a restricted free agent. 
I think so too. I think so too, but I, I want to check and you guys are, are getting this live right now. It's just loading right now. Okay. Um, let me click on position. Austin. Let me, okay. There's Jeff Wilson. Yep. He's a restricted free agent. So if you're unfamiliar with how the restricted free agency works, um, the 49ers can designate him with a, I think it's a first, second or third round tender that also dictates how much he's getting paid for that year. And if a team wants to sign him, they have to send him an offer. The 49ers get to see that offer. And if the 49ers choose not to match that offer, then they get a first, second or third round pick, depending on the tender they gave him. Or I think you can give him an original round tender, which obviously with Jeff Wilson doesn't mean anything because um, he was an undrafted free agent. So a team wouldn't have to give up anything. So no matter what, it should be relatively easy for the 49ers to keep Jeff Wilson around after this year. I do expect them to. I mean, he's somebody, because Raheem Mostert's coming back next year too, going into the season with a healthy Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. You could do a lot worse than that. And Jeff Wilson is, despite the fact that kind of people view him as kind of like a goal line bruising running back because that's how he runs, he's still a really, really good option out of the backfield as, as a pass catcher too. Yeah, so, he runs with some juice. He runs with some juice too. Like he's like maybe he doesn't have like big time top end speed, but he gets to his top end speed. It feels like in like one step. So he's still like although he maybe won't be like a game breaker, he's definitely more than fast enough. You know between you know the line of scrimmage and the twenty yard line. I have a question for you, or not twenty yard line between the line of scrimmage and, and 20 yards downfield. But I have a question for you. So with how well he's played, and it looks like 49ers is set to lose McKinnon and Coleman, would you, you know, obviously I'm, I know you're more than fine with the 49ers, you know, returning with um, Wilson and and Mostert, and that would be a nice little backfield right there, one-two punch, and maybe like a guy like, you know, Hasty. But would you set – uh, Wilson's tender to maybe something that somebody might want to give you like a third round tender. Uh, yeah, I would, I, I would because yeah, I think that's fair. One, I'm not sure a team still, I'm sure no, I'm not sure a team would pull the trigger on the third round tender. Um, because they'd have to give up a third round pick if they signed him, you know, and, and obviously they'd have to pay him to a contract that the 49ers weren't willing to match. And, and, but now that you say that, Given the 49ers cap situation, I guess it wouldn't really surprise me if a team tried to get an offer, give an offer for Jeff Wilson, If I mean, if they're impressed with him, because they know that the 49ers aren't going to be able to match the offer, if that makes sense. They're going to be so up against the cap wall trying to re-sign like Trent Williams and K1, or yeah, yeah Trent Williams, K1 Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, that maybe a team feels like they can come in with somebody like that and sign him to... What's up? What could be a pretty reasonable offer, you know, not like something that's all inflated, and it still might be something the 49ers can't match because yeah, like of five million, like five million dollars. Right, we're right. 49ers wouldn't even be willing to do that. So I could see another team trying to do that. But your say, but your question was, if you're the 49ers, do you set that tender at, at a place where it might tempt a team? And I think you do. I I, I think you got to be okay with losing somebody like Jeff Wilson. If if it's for because think of like if if you're getting a third round pick from that exchange and you're you're obviously saving yourself the salary cap it would take to keep Jeff Wilson around you would like to be able to think 
that with that third round pick or given how good the 49ers are at identifying running backs, that they would be able to get somebody to replace him pretty quickly. Right. You know, they did they'd be confident that they could replace him. Yeah, they, they've done an amazing job with undrafted backs. I mean, the entire time they've been there, whether it was, you know, Breda, <clears throat> excuse me, in the first year, you know, Wilson in the second year, and, you know, now Hasty. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure among other guys I'm just not thinking about right now, but um, they've done it. They've done a really good job. Well, and, and obviously the 49ers, Raheem Mostert was a former undrafted free agent, but, you know, they brought, they, they he was one of the few that was on this team before Kyle Shanahan took over and they kept him around. And, you know, obviously because of his special teams ability, but um, obviously they saw something in him at running back too. So it, it go. It's it's worth it's worth considering. I think the 49ers would probably, and this is no slight towards Jeff Wilson. I think the 49ers would be just fine getting a third round pick if somebody signed him away, because one, they can use the draft pick to replenish the talent in the roster, and two, they feel like that whether it's in the draft or as an undrafted free agent, they'll be able to replace him pretty easily just based on their their success at at the position, you know. Um, so you already, you already kind of touched on Akella Witherspoon. That was your, that was your other winner. Um, so, I mean, do you want me to jump straight into the, the CJ Beathard or do you have another winner? That no, you think? no, fine. Yeah. CJ, let's talk about it. All right. So CJ Beathard, man. And, and no, we're guys listen to this with a little bit of, you know, just minutia and, and gray area. It's no, we're not saying that. What we saw from C.J. Beathard was just far and away better than what we've seen from Nick Mullins. But the one thing C.J. Beathard did was take care of the football. He never, he did not throw one interception. And we know that that had become the problem with Nick Mullins. You know, you go back to like the Washington game where Nick Mullins was responsible for gifting Washington with one with an interception, two with a, a pretty bad fumble. Uh, more points than their offense even scored, and C.J. Beathard did not contribute to that. And he did have the one fumble that a lot of people would not put on him. You know, it was his fumble, though. Um, he's got to be able to kind of feel what's going on in the pocket. But he re- he reared back to throw, and Mike McGlinchey had given up a pretty quick pressure, too. I think it was Hassan Reddick, and uh, he knocked the ball away, and, and they were able to recover that. Didn't get any points from it, though. So, that you know, that's an important thing. But C.J. Beathard comes in, it's a year after his brother was stabbed to death. Obviously an emotional game, an emotional opportunity for him. All of the teammates that were up at the press conference kind of mentioned it, that it was just a, a momentous day for C.J. and they all felt so so good for him. Uh, you know, I had Iowa Twitter fans all up in my mentions all day because of the things that George Kittle said, his former teammate, the things that CJ Beathard said, and the fact that he just couldn't have written it up any better. He couldn't have written a movie script better than what happened for him on Saturday. So, I mean, it's just impossible not to be happy for the guy. You know, he comes in his first start of the year, throws three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, You know, it was only 182 yards. He wasn't out there slinging it. And the 49ers were able to generate a lot on the ground, but Dude, just to go out there in his position and not screw it up is a success in and of itself. Yeah, I mean that was the the biggest thing that has been you know happening. You touched on Mullins and his uh, turnovers, and a lot of times with the 49ers, it's kind of been a snowballing effect. Uh, you just want to give them a chance, and that's been 
the thing that's really kind of been holding the offense back. You know, when they do th- get things going, there's a turnover. When they start to get things going again, then there's a turnover. And just to see the 49ers come lim- kind of limit that um, this game and what it did for the offense, you know, more uh, drives that were a little bit more cons- consistent. Uh, they they didn't ask him to do a whole lot. It was a very conservative game plan. Um, he only threw four passes to the receivers. So, you know, the, the receivers kind of felt the brunt of the, the game plan. But it ultimately was like, you know, whatever we have to do to make sure that we don't lose this game. And it was kind of a somewhat version of what the 49ers did with, like, Garoppolo in the second half of the divisional round playoffs. Whereas, like, you know what, we'll throw the ball a couple of times, but if we don't have to, we won't. Um, even when he was throwing the ball, a lot of them were, you know, we're not even traveling like five yards down the field. Now, I will say he threw two good passes up the seam uh, to George Kittle, and, you know, he had a big game. I don't – did we list George Kittle as a winner? Um, I have – well, I mean, yes and no. But 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 George Kittle had an excellent game his first game back, 92 yards. Um, one was off of a, you know, he had a big game off of a play action, his first catch since uh, returning, where there was kind of a play action, boot action, and um, he caught it. And, like, those were the things that they were doing for Bethard, kind of giving him easy completions, things where it's like, you can't mess this up, <laughs> like, you know. And he was able to kind of dump it off. They didn't ask him to do anything too much, like throwing outside the numbers or anything like that. Not, really not even throwing down the field to receivers in where there might have been traffic. Uh, a lot of the pass plays for him were – it was it was very fairly simple. And I, I think that was a good job. They were protecting him and protecting the ball. And, you know, because CJ – we we have seen him – like not – you mentioned the turnovers and he didn't have those. But he did get sacked several times. And the one thing I was like, man, this guy plays so slow. Like his dropbacks were like really slow. I don't know. It was really weird to kind of watch it. But ultimately, at least it didn't result in turnovers. And, you know, for that, I mean, definitely a, a, a winner in this game. He he definitely contributed to, the, to helping the 49ers win. Yeah, and it was it, you're right though. It was there was a lot of a lot of uh, you know obviously him and Nick Mullins were making different decisions, but there was a very very noticeable difference in the speed at which the two quarterbacks drop back, the speed at which they make a decision and let go of the ball. Uh, it was it was pretty funny because it was so obviously noticeable right when he first started playing. I was like, oh man, this is this is a little slower than. Than the two other guys, but you know, like you said, he he took care of the ball. So Crocker did mention that we didn't have George Kittle as a winner. We actually have him as a loser, and you will find out here shortly. Let's get a a quick word in from our sponsors. Twenty twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. 
And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. You can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offers valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions do apply. The NBA is back in action and football is heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE. It's all one word. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. All right, so I did the unthinkable, and I put George Kittle on my losers list. And if you haven't, obviously the 49ers played on Saturday, and if you haven't been paying much attention to the football on this Sunday, then you might not realize what happened. And this certainly does not actually make George Kittle a genuine loser as you guys know and have come to expect. But George Kittle's all-time receiving yards record for tight ends, which he set in 2018 with 1,377 yards, has officially been broken by Travis Kelsey. Now, the interesting thing about that is Travis Kelsey actually set the record like 30 minutes, maybe not even that, 10 minutes before George Kittle set the record in the 2018 season. Kelsey said it, and I believe Kelsey's numbers were 1336. And then George Kittle came right back in the same game and got 1377. So Kelsey finally got his chance to uh, to retake the throne this year. Incredible. Like, if you have not gone on and looked at Travis Kelsey's production, it's incredible. You got to see it. But this season has been something else. As of week 16, so he's played 15 games. Travis Kelsey has 105 catches for 1,416 yards and 11 touchdowns. I drafted Travis Kelsey onto my fantasy team this year in the first round, and he has just been – I got him late in the first round, and he's just been a steal for me in in that perspective. And if you just look, going all the way back to 2016 – Travis Kelsey has averaged more than 80 catches, more than 1,000 yards, and close to uh, about eight or nine touchdowns a year average since 2016. Unbelievable production from that guy. So the only reason I listed George Kittle as a loser today, obviously he came back from his broken foot, came back great, 
was able to, I think he was a 49ers leading receiver with pass catcher with 92 yards on four catches. So he had a great game, instantly made his his presence felt in the pass and the run, but unfortunately has uh, has lost his, his record uh, as the 49ers tied in with the most passing yards in a season that now belongs to Travis Kelsey. But Crocker, when I mentioned this before the pod, you kind of had a good point about that about you know the constant comparison between George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Why don't you uh, ju- elaborate on that? Yeah, it is that de- you know there's definitely been an argument with that and a discussion. But like you said, there, I mean I don't I don't think there's a discussion anymore right now, right? Like the best ability is availability, and you know George Kittle has kind of missed a good amount of games, you know, throughout his career, and obviously it's super early. But it's kind of hard to put him over Travis Kelsey. And that's been, you know, I've been saying, like, yeah, if if I could have any tight end in the league, give me George Kittle with his, you know, what he's able to do, you know, whether it's, you know, blocking or, you know, even his run after catch. Like, it's amazing. I I don't think there's any tight end in the league that's better after the catch. But uh, I don't know. uh, Darren Waller, he's pretty good (laughs) at that. (laughs) Like, Darren Waller, he's, he's, that dude's good. I think he should be in that conversation with those guys. But, um, you know, Travis Kelsey, the consistency in which he's been putting up these numbers every single year, going over a thousand yards, every every single year, uh, you know, hovering around 100 catches um, this year. I mean, he's in discussion for most yards. Like we're not even talking about just with tight ends. We're talking about with, with receivers as well. So I, I get, you know, as being 49er fans and I, I try not to be like a homer. Um, I truly, genuinely thought, like, yeah, George Kittle, I wouldn't want any other tight end over him. But now I think there is a discussion. And, you know, Travis Kelsey's in that discussion. Kittle's obviously in that discussion. But I think Darren Waller as well. So, yeah, I, I just don't think it's as clear cut. You know, and if guys wanted to be clear cut, George Kittle has to stay healthy. And he has to kind of do what Kelsey's been doing. You read off his numbers, and, I mean, they're, they're ridiculous, what he's done over, like, a five- or six-year span. And George Kittle, he's not really sniffing that, you know, partly because, one, he's only been in the league for a few years, but, two, he hasn't been able to stay as healthy. Yeah, George Kittle has, has two 1,000-yard seasons, 2019 and 2018. Obviously, he's not going to come anywhere near that mark uh, in 2020 because he missed so much time with his foot injury. Um, but And then and in his rookie year, he had 515 yards. So, he just, he just, as far as a receiving tight end goes, he really doesn't, production-wise, hold a candle to what Travis Kelsey's been able to do. Now, where a lot of the discussion falls, or or at least 49ers fans want the discussion to fall here, is George Kittle is, is undeniably the most complete tight end in the NFL. He can catch, he can run after the catch, and he can block his ass off, and he can hang with premier NFL defensive ends. We've seen him do it. But again, with so much of the emphasis in the NFL coming on passing, creating points, having a potent offense, it really just doesn't get any better than Travis Kelsey, who I think Matt Barrows um, from the athletic tweeted this today. You know, Travis Kelsey spends just as probably more time in the slot than he does you know, lined up in line along with the offensive line, like a true tight end. But I mean, it is what it is. You know, his his whatever he's doing is working, and I, I guarantee you, the 49ers would would absolutely love to have that kind of passing production because 
Travis Kelsey's for the most part, he's eclipsed the tight end position. And now he's just one of the best pass catchers in the NFL, which is incredibly valuable in and of itself. So George Kittle, obviously a, a fully complete tight end that can pay dividends in the, in the, in the, you know, in the run game and really kind of set it off, which is valuable to Kyle Shanahan. But when it comes to long-standing production and just overall impact in the passing game, you really can't get any any more impressive than Travis Kelsey. And even when you go back to George Kittle's record-setting season, and this all this kind of goes into what me and Croc have talked about when it comes to Kittle before. Even in his record-setting season, he only had five touchdowns. And right. you go look. You go and look at Travis Kelsey's stats. Um, six two thousand six two thousand sixteen was pretty much. If you don't count thirteen, I, I don't really know why he didn't have any production as a rookie with the Chiefs. Um, but you know, since two thousand fourteen, five touchdowns, five touchdowns, four touchdowns, eight touchdowns in two thousand seventeen, ten in two thousand eighteen, five in two thousand nineteen, and then eleven in two thousand twenty. So you know, as far as producing points. Travis Kelsey is up there as well. So there's, there's, I think just given how this season unfolded, I think Travis Kelsey's kind of put himself in the, in the lead as the best tight end in the league. But if George Kittle can stay healthy and he can continue to produce in the past game, then he'll always have the edge as a true tight end. He's just got to, he's got to keep up in the past game and he's got to stay on the field. Um, let us, I believe. You have, yeah, you haven't talked about your uh, your other loser. Who did you have? Uh, obviously, we're picking losers from a 49ers win that was pretty impressive. So we're just trying to trying to stay balanced here. So who did you have as a loser, Croc? Kendrick Bourne. And my reasons for that is, you know, obviously the receivers, I, not from a, this is not about statistics, even though I do, you know, want to win my uh, bet and I'm one catch away. But just from the standpoint of I'm watching the game and I'm like, obviously looking for Kendrick Bourne. I'm like, damn, where is Kendrick Bourne? Like, is he playing today? And then, you know, I keep looking. I see him on the sideline. Like, well, damn. He's excited for his teammate, patting him on the head. Like, he clearly looks healthy. And I just noticed, like, man, Richie James is out there a lot more than Kendrick Bourne. Now, this is coming off of a game where Bourne had, how many, I mean, what, four catches for 80-something yards and a touchdown? And, again, like, that last touchdown, you know, that was a Hail Mary. And that's, you know, so it's not like he just was balling all game and have four for 87 or whatever he had. But, you know, he, it seemed like he didn't do anything wrong. We don't know. Maybe on film on all 22, he's running the wrong routes or whatever. But he he wasn't playing his normal amount of snaps. And, and that was something where I'm like, whoa, you kind of got hijacked for your reps here. And, uh, you know, and Richie James was the beneficiary. Now, again... I mean, the receivers only have four targets all game, and he and Kendrick did catch his only target, but you're not on the field. Like, what happened? So definitely, like, something happened. Uh, he wasn't the starter. He only, I think I saw something that said he played, like, 15 snaps. Yeah, definitely a loser for this game. Right, yeah. It's. I'm assuming that, I mean, I don't know. So you got Brandon Ayuk. And then who's the who's the leading receiver off opposite Brandon Ayuk? You would with Debo Samuel out, you would think it would have been Kendrick Bourne all day. 
Right. Well, I mean, you know? statistically, he is. Right. So it's it's a little weird that given the fact that the opportunity is right there for him to see, uh, you know, the majority of offensive snaps. Now, I don't know how many times the 49ers ran two receiver sets because obviously George Kittle's back. They probably ran two tight ends and, you know, two running backs quite a bit or two tight ends and a running back. So um, there might not have been that many opportunities for Kendrick Bourne to get on the field. But at the same time, there's not really a an option after Brandon Ayuk that should take precedence over Kendrick Bourne unless, you know, something happened that we don't know about. But we'll see. All we, all we know here on the Striking Gold podcast is that Kendrick Bourne better get one damn catch tomorrow <laughs> or next week so that Crocker can win his back. And you know what would be funny is if he just gets the one catch so he gets exactly what you needed to win the bet. You so know what I mean? This is what I need. Like, this is what I need to happen. And – Sorry, I'm being a little selfish here. I know everybody wants to beat Seattle. But I need Seattle to be up like two scores to where it forces the Niners to have to throw the ball around <laughs> and use three receivers, which I'm still confused as to why he wasn't on the field. We talked about, you know, him, you know, who would be the guy kind of after Debo Samuel and all that. You know, with everything that's kind of going on with the 49ers this year, he's your second leading receiver. He's about to have 600 yards. That's your second leading receiver behind Brandon Ayuk. So... Yeah, I don't know. Weird, weird, weird situation there. Especially for a guy, typically when you talk about two receiver sets, he's usually in there. I don't know, really confusing as to why he kind of got some of his reps taken away. But it seemed like he was still upbeat. And obviously, it was when his number was called, he came through. But, uh, and I know maybe some people will point to the drops against uh, the Washington football team, right? Was that when he had the drops? Yeah, I think he dropped at least two. But he came back the next – no, no. I mean, he had like three drops that game. Well, I said at least two. That would okay. also include three. Okay, yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, he uh, well, he, he followed that up with, uh, you, know, no, you know, four catches on four targets against the Cowboys. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but they better stop playing with my guy. I need that one catch. Yep. Keep an eye out. 49ers fans – when the 49ers play uh, Seattle next week, keep an eye on Kendrick Bourne. Just just have that in the back of your mind. You know, the mo- all you want to see is Kendrick Bourne catch one pass. And when you see that one pass, I want that one catch. I want all of you out there to jump up and get psyched for for Crocker here taking home another another hundred. So um, we'll see. All and then my dollars. <laughs> hey man, it is dude. We got to get excited about something around here. I know, right? Yeah. Um, and then my last loser, I think it's our last loser of the night, Robbie Gould. What the heck, man? Like, obviously there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of complaining you can do about Robbie Gould as a whole. You know, he is one of probably statistically one of the best NFL kickers ever, just given what he's been able to do in the NFL. Um, he was on like, I think it was. One of, it was the longest current streak in the NFL of field goals made under 50 yards. I think it was – it could have been in the 30s. I can't remember the number. But Robbie Gould, as reliable as he has been, has you know, had a pretty rough game. He missed an extra point, and then he missed a field goal. And then towards the end of the game, the 49ers had another drive. Um 
and I think it was a relatively easy field goal if I don't like low forties, high thirties, somewhere in there. Um, and this would have been the field goal that would have, it was at the end of the game. It would have pushed the 49ers ahead by two scores. It would have pretty much just sealed the game for the 49ers. The Cardinals would not have had enough time to, um, to tie the game and then come back and get more points. So that would have been it. And he missed another one. So he missed two field goals and an extra point, probably his worst kicking performance in quite a while. I can't, somebody wrote an article about the last time he was that bad. Um, I believe it was with the 49ers, but I don't remember which game it was. But it was a rough performance for him. And the the the, the kicker for Gould is, I believe, I said the kicker. Let's like, I just realized I made a joke on accident. <laughs> but um, he is, his deadline for the 49ers picking up the next year of his contract is like really, really close. I don't know. I meant to look it up before. I hopped on here and now I'm doing it as I type, but I know it's coming up very soon. I think it's Saturday, January 2nd, the 49ers have by then the 49ers have to have decided whether he's going to remain on the team for the 2021 season. Now, obviously the 49ers, hold on. I'm getting an alert that there's motion detected outside of my garage, which can get crazy. So I want to check that real quick. I think, I think that's worth pausing the, uh, the podcast to check, but um, we're good. I'm looking at the camera. <laughs> so, you know, obviously the 49ers are going to be up against the salary cap. Who knows exactly where Robbie Gould is going to fall into that priority, but you know, a kicker will win you games pretty often in this league. So it's, it, it shouldn't be underrated, you know, how much, you know, him sticking around is, is worth it. It's just a matter of if the 49ers are going to have the money to do it. And Robbie Gould against the Cardinals did not give the 49ers any convincing to pick up his option. But Kyle Shanahan was asked about it after the game. And of course, you know, I think a, a head coach is almost always going to have his players back. But he did say, um, the quote that I put on my Twitter said, you have to look at the entire body of work. Robbie's been unbelievable since he's been here. He's played too much football in his career and too much football for us to let one game decide who he is. And obviously that's a very, very good quote from Kyle Shanahan. I do agree with him. It's just, you know, when, when, you know, when money gets tight, the 49ers need to feel like Gould is a lock and he was anything but that against the Cardinals. But we'll see. It could be no big deal. They could pick up his option and it's no, it's, you know, we'll never think about it again, but it was a little weird to see him go out there and struggle like that, especially when his field goals were were making a solid difference in the fact that it would have pushed the 49ers ahead by two scores. So I mean, Gould is I don't Gould's my last loser. Do you have any other anything else that we need to cover? I mean, the losers tonight is whoever is covering Devontae Adams. Gosh. Did he get another one? Nah, but he has 11 for 142 and three touchdowns. He just got them inside the 10. Man, and that's not a, that's not a close game either. Packers are winning 39 to 14. Whew. Yeah. Man, that's I, a lot of points. Knowing them, they're about to throw it again. I, in the, I would in the snow. Touchdown number four. Well, what's crazy too is the Packers, more than any other team that I know of, We'll throw it on the one yard line all day. Like, yeah, I mean, and they always that that's how 
I'd be willing to bet Devontae Adams has the most one-yard touchdowns ever as from right. a receiver standpoint. Yeah, they do it all the time. They, they throw from the one-yard line all the time, and it's just because Aaron, they have a receiver like Devontae Adams that Aaron Rodgers can place the ball exactly where it should be, and it's like stealing most of the time. So doesn't get much better than that. Hopefully the 49ers can uh, – can get themselves a little bit of that quarterback magic, whether that's from a revitalized Jimmy Garoppolo or brand-new draft pick, or we'll see who becomes available throughout the season. But, hey, at least we'll have an entire offseason to talk about that. You got any last little comments there, Croc? Well, I do have a question. I mean, kind of while we're on the subject a little bit. Would you trade the number 13 pick or whatever it is straight up for Matthew Stafford? Uh, Yes. Yeah, I think I'm there too. I don't even think I would like. They'd be like, "How about the 13th overall?" Yes, and then, <laughs> and then that'd be it. I just hang up the phone, kind of like Moneyball when he's like, "When you get the answer you want, hang up." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do it, and 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 it would still put the 49ers in a little bit of a bind because Stafford is getting paid real quarterback money. Um, if it's a if it's a trade, then I think his salary becomes a little more reasonable. But I just feel I, like you know what? there's so I much raw that. talent. Yeah, I have seen that. His contract, I mean, I, I don't know how all this signing, this bonus and stuff. I'm going to ask my guy, Chris, and I, I'll have another answer for you guys the next time we record. But he knows more about how this whole bonus and all this type of stuff. Because when you look at like his yearly number, that can be far less than what he'd actually be getting. And I want to say I saw some something where somebody was saying he would get like $21 million next year, like if he's traded, because so much of his contract was already paid and then something about the signing bonus that spread out, but like they're on the hook for it. I don't know how any of that stuff works. Well, I, if I, I if I'm on I'm on over the cap right now, and sometimes it doesn't work, but they do have a little thing that you can change where it shows you what his contract looks like if he's traded before June 1st or after June 1st. And you can and, you can designate it as a post-June 1st trade. I don't know how that stuff works. Or is that just a post-June 1st cut? I, I know you can designate it. No, no, they, they have a post-June 1 trade. And, and, the, and I don't know how it – I'm right there with you. I don't know how it all works. But I know that if he's traded before June 1st, the cap number – the dead money for Detroit is $32 million. But if he's traded after June 1st, I don't, again, I don't know how all this works. Detroit's dead money um, becomes 13 million. Yet the cap number, no matter what, in both of those scenarios, which is what I assume the 49ers would absorb, is only 21.3 million. That's the 21. So that's which is super reasonable for any quarterback that's quality. In the league. So I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming that they could designate it a post-June 1 trade. Uh, I've heard that before. I don't know what that means. It, you know, and I, I, it seems like that would be the route Detroit would want to take. I, I don't know how all that works. I really don't. But And then cap num- um, Matthew's, Matthew Stafford's cap number in 2022 is only $26 million, which is still super reasonable. And then in 2023, it's probably like a dead year on the contract, um, but it's only his cap number is only three million. I don't know if that if that year counts, but 
Um, it's technically on there on over the cap. So would I trade the 49ers first round pick for Matthew Stafford? If you really felt like Matthew Stafford was like we mentioned earlier, that ticket to a nine out of 10 efficiency scale of your offense, or, you know, even an 8.5 or, you know, a 9.5, if you felt like he was somewhere in there, then yes, all day here, take it. I'm never going to think about it again. Let's go win a Super Bowl because Shanahan can finally have somebody that, you know, can make every single throw and read in his offense. Did, did you see that no-look pass? Uh, right down shot? the middle into the end zone? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little stupid. That was sweet. That was sweet. He's yeah. got a little bit of an injury little issue right now. I mean, something's going on with his ankle. He got kind of banged up, and he left the, the last game a little early. Um, again, we're talking about Matthew Stafford. I have no idea if he's even available. I don't even know where the rumors and all this stuff came from. Maybe just people assuming, hey, changing, you know, uh, GM, coaching staff over there. Maybe they want to rebuild it and do things. And and, and what, where are the Lions pick? Where, where are they picking right now? Let's see. Fairly early. Tankathon NFL. I know my guy Trevor Sycamore posted the, the current draft. They order. are currently picking seventh overall. All right. So if you, if you're, if you if you are a new coach and you're picking or a new coach and GM or you know whatever how that situation works out and you're picking seventh and possibly higher because I doubt that Matthew Stafford's going to play again this year and if they have to go out there with Chase Daniel again gosh um, <laughs> so probably top five and you're also able to acquire a, you know a, at least you know mid round mid first round pick from the 49ers. That might it might take that. Again, I, I don't know. I mean, if I was a head coach in GM, I'd rather come into a situation where I have Matthew Stafford than not have him. That's just my personal opinion. Right, and that's and that's the part where we've never been able to 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 put the pieces together as to why this rumor even exists. Because I've always felt like Matthew Stafford was was like a, a prime piece of temptation for any head coach or GM, knowing that at least you've got a great quarterback that you can build around. You know, you no matter how much he's costing you, as long as he's playing up to that level and you've got a great quarterback, then you know you can build around that. Um, so it would surprise me if they were willing to just part ways with him, but if the 49ers are willing to give up the 14th overall pick and, and maybe more, depending on how that conversation goes or wherever the 49ers pick, um, it, it would be tough to turn that down. You know, it's just obviously the dynamics are different because money's involved and salary cap might be shrinking, but the 49ers got the 13th overall pick for DeForest Buckner. So it, it, it feel like they would have to give up a little bit more for Matthew Stafford, you know, a, a pretty premier quarterback. And I think I would even venture to say he's probably underrated just given where, you know, where the Lions have been the last however many years. But um, definitely something I do. And I guess we'll keep talking about it until somebody comes out and, and, and says something to the effect that it's never going to happen. But it's definitely worth the conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. But that was my last little tidbit. Just a little food for thought. A little food for thought for everybody as we sign off here. A little food for thought. But, yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of Striking Gold. It's all about you guys. We uh, we won't be potting tomorrow, and then we should be jumping back again on here again on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday to 
do our mailbag. So keep an eye out for Twitter over the next couple of days for Crocker and I to announce our our mailbag episode. Make sure you guys are. It'll be our last mailbag episode for the regular season. That's not to say we won't do another one um, on the week after that or, or soon, but it'll be our last regular season mailbag. So make sure you guys are paying attention to Twitter so you could be a part of that and ask your questions. Um, again, I appreciate you guys. But for another episode, this is Striking Gold, and we are signing out. Get Kendrick Bourne that one catch. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.